right. Welcome, 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 welcome. If you are new around here, you will see people with shirts on. We've got some out here at the merch store, and you'll hear this phrase, especially if you stalk our Facebook page or uh, any of our social media. You'll, you'll hear this phrase that we are that church. And that was a sermon series that I did, and I know if you're new around here, you weren't here for that installment. But I just want to begin this morning by telling you what that means. It means a lot of things, and it describes us in a lot of ways. But one thing that that, that means is that we are a church that don't skip pages. If it's in there, we talk about it. And the reason I bring that up is this morning is going to begin some uh, diving into some very deep, very emotional, and very exposing topics. Over the next several weeks, I'm going to have some props up here on the stage. We're going to be spending a lot of time diving into emotional things, uh, traumatic things. We're going to talk about your mind a lot we're going to talk about your emotions. Uh, we're, we're, going to, we're going to be getting into some areas that is going to make you feel very exposed and very vulnerable. And, and, and the reason we're going to do it is because there's so few churches out there that will. Everybody wants to, to come to church and, and leave feeling good, but a lot of times the good is artificial. Because it's been a, a hit of dopamine on top of a bad week, and you feel good for a moment, but if there's no real deliverance, that good wears off pretty quick. And my ministry has always been one that dives into the trauma, the hurts, the wounds, because any good emergency room has to diagnose what's wrong with you, clean the wound, expose the wound before they can heal the wound. And we're an emotional emergency room here at Promise of Victory. We're that church. So I'm just telling you that beginning this morning, uh, we're going to be, I've been preaching one continuing sermon for the entire year. And if you're new here or you haven't been around much, you may not understand that, but it's just been one continual sermon. Uh, it, it's probably going to end up being like chapters in a book. And, and I was told by the Holy Spirit coming into 2023 that our word for this year was unhindered. That God is wanting to make this year the most blessed year in our lives. That over the course of the past three years, some of you have suffered and become so tormented by the enemy and you don't even realize what you have lost. And God wants you to live an unhindered, unfettered life. But as we're going to begin seeing this morning, there's some things that are standing in the way. We have hindrances, and we're going to talk about one of them this morning. Our, our sermon title this morning is Rise from Pain. Pain is one of the things that is hindering you. We're going to dive deep into that this morning. I'm going to begin in Genesis chapter 11, and we're going to find out this morning that we're calling these things flesh wounds. Your flesh I'm going to illustrate that as the weeks go on because we're going to have, we're going to have some uh, props up here and we're going, to, we're going to really get this embedded into your spirit and into your mind about what I mean by this title, flesh wounds. Because flesh is what is standing between you and being unhindered. We're going to begin this morning uh, on an emotional adventure. Do you love me? Do, do, do you trust me? 
Because what the Lord showed me, and he don't, he don't often do this. Most of the time he does it when I'm going to preach at another church and I don't know the people. And sometimes while I'm praying for the service, I'll see what the altar call is going to look like. Uh, and, and it's vague. It's not specific. It's just I, I, I kind of know where, where to preach because I know what the Lord's trying to draw the people to, if that makes sense to you. He doesn't often do it for you because I know you. So he usually does it when I'm going to preach for strangers. But what God showed me was over the course of the next several weeks, he showed me an altar service with wailing. I didn't say crying. I said wailing. Wailing because pain was being released. And, and, and it's, one of those, it's one of those guttural uh, cries that happens when something has been holding you back. And it finally gets released. I don't know if anybody else grew up eating the same way I ate, but my mama used to make brown beans in a pressure cooker. And my mama had that old pressure cooker that sat on the stove, and it had a, a, a little thing on top of it that would dance when everything got right. And you don't know what's going on on the inside until the pressure starts coming out. And what God showed me was that some of y'all are like that. You've been walking around with a bunch of pressure building up on the inside of you, and you don't really know what to do with it. You don't even recognize it's there. And heaven forbid you actually admit it, because if you talk about it, it makes it real. But I have seen that pressure cooker starting to dance over some of you, and that thing is about to break. So uh, that, that's, that's what's coming your way. So before we ever get started this morning, I want you to pray for yourself. Okay? I, I want you to pray for yourself because... Some of you are about to get freaked out. And I don't just mean this morning. I mean over the next couple of weeks. Some of you are about to get freaked out because these, these sermons are going to be such detailed. And it's going to fit your life so much, you're going to want to go get a restraining order against me because you think I've been snooping around your house. Because I'm going to say things that you said in private. And you think I've been snooping around your house and you're going to go try to get a restraining order against me. But it ain't me. It's the Holy Spirit. And it's going to really bug you over the next couple of weeks how close some of this stuff's going to hit to your life. So I want you to pray for yourself. I want you to pray that you can receive it. it listen, we don't have to, this don't have to be a long, drawn-out process. God hears every cry. And what I want you to do is very simple. I want you to ask the Lord, Lord, help me receive today your word. Don't let anything hinder me. Can you do that? Can you just silently, maybe out loud, however you feel like doing it, God help me receive today. Don't let anything hinder me. Are you ready for the word? Amen. Let's give it one more hand clap and we'll get started. So we're going to take a look at Genesis chapter 11. Chapter 11 is a pivotal chapter in your Bible. It comes, obviously, after chapters 1 through 10. Now, 1 through 10 have described creation of man and man's fall into sin. It describes man's continued rebellion to the point where God got sick of it all and sent a flood. And he saved eight people, put them on an ark, Noah and his family. And that is what has happened up through the first 10 chapters. And, and, and then chapters 12 through 25 tell the story of a man named Abraham. And his story is God made a covenant with a man. And Abraham's story plays out over how he is learning how to walk out that covenant. And rest, really the rest of the entire Bible 
describes the story of how God has been fulfilling his promise to Abraham. And right in the middle of this is chapter 11. And chapter 11 can be divided. When you, when you study Scripture, you learn how to divide the Bible chapters. And, and, and chapter 11 can be divided really into three parts. The first couple of verses, first ten verses, is about a, a place called Babel. And you've probably heard about the Tower of Babel. And that is really linked to man's rebellion against God. And it's just a continuation of everything that has happened the first ten chapters. Man thought they were wiser than God. They thought that they could do it without God. And so they built this big tower. And then in the middle of chapter 11, there's about four generations of begats. One guy begat another guy that begat another guy that begat another guy. And you think that those things don't matter. They really do matter, especially for genealogy. But that's not what I'm here to preach this morning. What I want to preach is the third part, which is verses 26 through 32. And we get introduced to a man named Terah. Who's Terah, you ask? I'm glad you asked. Beginning with verse 26. I want you to pay attention to some of these names, okay? I I know it's difficult sometimes when we start reading all these Bible names. That's why sometimes I just insert my own. But today I can't do that because I need you to, uh, there is a message hidden within these verses. Verse 26, after Terah was 70 years old, he became, where's all my senior adult brothers at? You guys ready to be a daddy at 70? I mean a new daddy. I, I know you're a daddy at 70, but you ready to have a newborn at 70. Lord, help me, Jesus. After Terah was 70 years old, he became the father of, pay attention to these three names, Abram, you know who that is, right? He becomes Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. This is the account of Terah's family. Terah was the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran was the father of Lot. Verse 28 says, but Haran died in Ur of the Chaldees, the land of his birth, while his father Terah was still living. Meanwhile, Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. The name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. Milcah and her sister Iscah were daughters of Nahor's brother Haran. But Sarah was unable to become pregnant and had no children. One day, Terah took his son Abram, his daughter-in-law Sarai, and sons Abram's wife, and his grandson Lot, his son Haran's child, and moved away. They moved away from Ur of the Chaldees. He was headed for the land of Canaan. Where was he headed? Where was he headed? Pay attention to that. He was headed for the land of Canaan. That's pretty... That's pretty uh, explanatory, right? I mean, it's very direct. He's got a destination. He's headed for the land of Canaan. But, everybody say but. They stopped at Haran and settled there. Terah lived for 205 years and died. You would have thought if he became a father at 70, that would have killed him sooner than that. But he lived to be 200, 
right? I mean, I'm nowhere near 70 yet. Having a newborn now, it'd probably kill me sooner than 205, I promise you. My wife and I told him last week at the marriage seminar, Jesus says you're not married when you get to heaven. So, so marriage isn't forever. It just feels that way if you're doing it wrong. Right? So, so, so 205 years, the man finally got some relief and went home to Jesus. And I want you to pay attention to the rest of that verse. Tara lived for 205 years and died while still in Haran. Now, those seven verses don't sound very exciting, but when you dig into it a little bit, it gets a little more interesting. First of all, sometimes we have to infer things about people in the Bible because we're not given all the, we're not given all the information. And we don't know a whole lot about Terah. What we do know is that he's from Ur of the Chaldeans. And since we're not told any otherwise, we can safely assume, because we know about the Chaldeans, that he was a pagan worshiper. Because that's what the Chaldeans did. They worshipped many gods. This would have been normal. According to Habakkuk chapter 1, this would have been normal for the Chaldeans to be pagan worshippers. We can also assume that Terah was very rich. Why do we come to that assumption? Because Genesis chapter 13 verse 6 says, Abram was very rich in livestock and in silver and in gold. Abram was Terah's Son, since this was very early in Abram's story, that means he probably inherited his riches. Okay? So, Abram was his firstborn son. In Bible days, the firstborn got half of their father's inheritance. And then the other half was split among the other sons and daughters. So, Abram would have gotten half of Terah's wealth when Terah died. Are you tracking me? Which means if Abram, according to Genesis 13, 6, if Abram was very rich, that means he got half of his daddy's inheritance. That makes his daddy very, very rich. Because that means that he gave Abram half and he split the other half between the descendants of two other sons. Are you with me? So Terah must have had, if he was very, very rich, he would have had a lot of livestock, he would have had a lot of servants. When he decided to pack up and leave Ur of Chaldees and head toward Canaan, where were they going? And head toward Canaan, he would have had to move a lot of people. He would have had a lot of animals, he would have had a lot of servants, he would have had a lot of uh, food, because you can't just sick, uh, send animals and servants out into the desert on a road to Canaan and expect them to find their own food. So they would have had to pack a lot of supplies. Not to mention, Canaan is a thousand miles away from Ur of Chaldees. So this would have been at least a six-month, maybe as long as a year journey. Because when you think about it, traveling five, six, seven miles a day would have been a, a, a big undertaking. If you're trying to move a bunch of animals, you've got animals running off. You've got to go gather them and bring them back. You've got people that are falling ill. And maybe they can't travel as fast as other people. So, so traveling five or six miles a day would have been a, a big job for them. So this was going to be a long, arduous, dangerous journey. There's a lot of thieves and robbers out there. They're going to have to guard themselves. That means people are going to have to guard the camp while they slept that night. Not to mention you've got to set a camp up, take the camp down every single day because people have to sleep underneath tents and you've got mothers having children. 
I mean, you've got a lot of things happening, a lot of moving parts. This was a large journey. We read these things and we're like, oh yeah, they just headed out to Canaan like you head to Walmart. It was different. It, it wasn't the same kind of, it, they didn't just go down to the bus station and catch the bus. This was a big undertaking, amen? And, and, and we know that once they were, if they ever got to Canaan, Canaanites like to fight. We find that out later in the book of Joshua. So, so not only that, they're going to have to be equipped to handle a fight when they show up in Canaan. But they didn't show up there, did they? We're told later in the Bible that God spoke to Abram and told Abram to go to Canaan. You remember this story? He spoke to Abram, Terah's son, and said, go to Canaan. Nowhere in your Bible does it tell you that God told Terah to go to Canaan. He did tell Abram later, but he never told Terah. So what caused Terah to pack up his whole existence and take on this huge job of moving his family to Canaan? We're not told, but I think there's a clue. The Bible tells us in verse 28, his son Haran died. He was in his father's land, Ur of the Chaldeans, and his son died. Some of you know the pain associated with losing a child. Some of you have lost sons. I can't imagine. I've walked with some of you through that. I've preached some of the funerals. I, I know you know better than I do the pain of losing a child. But what I do know is this. I can understand that pain being too much for a father to bear. And, and a father not wanting to live there and wanting to pack up what's left of his life and leave there because living there causes so many remembrances and too much pain. I can understand. Can you relate? Why, why anybody would, would, would not want to stay where their son has died? But it doesn't say that, Pastor. You're right. You're right. But, but there's another clue. I read to you verse 31 that says, They came to a place. Where were they headed? Say Canaan. And they settled in a place called Haran. And the Bible says in verse 31, they settled there. So, so I think that's another clue. Because his sons were named Abram, Nahor, and... And where did they stop? Could it be that pain caused him to move and it was pain that caused him to stop? He left his father's homeland because his son Haran had died. Then on the way to his blessing, he came to a town that reminded him of the pain that he had left behind because the town was named the same as his dead son and he settled there. Could it be that pain got him moving but pain was also what cut him down and caused him to stop before he reached his blessing? I came here to talk to somebody who is in the throes of trying to leave the pain behind and I want to encourage you not to stop short of your blessing because pain will get you moving but pain will also shut you down if you allow it to. 
As a, as a matter of fact, I, I, verse 32 says, says he died there. He never made it to the land of blessing because pain overcame him. Sometimes there is so much pain in the place you are at that if you get stuck there, you will die there. One of the greatest blessings that you have as a child of God is that you have someone who asks you, please let me carry your load. Jesus said, why don't you give me your cares? He said, cast your cares. Throw them away. Give me the burdens of your life. He begs you to allow him to carry your burdens. But you sit here this morning under the sound of my voice with such excruciating pain on the inside of you that you don't want to talk to nobody about and you don't even want to come to the altar and get clean with. You want everybody to think you're strong. I've got news for you. We all know you're barely hanging on. We know you're on the brink of falling apart. We can see that if another string gets pulled, you might unravel right in front of us. We're not hoping that you are better. We're hoping that you will get the help you need, that you will come to this man Jesus and throw your cares on him before you die in your pain. We care way too much about what other folk think about us. Whether it's your kids whether it's your spouse, whether it's your boss, whether it's the people you go to church with, you say, well, I don't want anybody to think I'm weak. We all know you're weak. You're a mess. Get over yourself. We're rooting for you that you will come to the realization of how desperately you need to cast your cares on Jesus. We're, the, 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 I told you, I'm going, I told you, this is going, if, if, we, if we quiet now, it, it ain't looking good. Several years ago, there was a commercial. Some of you, uh, some of you people that are my age and up, you'll appreciate this product. It's called Icy Hot. You got an offense. I felt, I felt a witness in my spirit when I said that. So you're like, praise the Lord. I have found my tribe. <laughs> Now, now, several years ago, there was, uh, they, they, and they still use him. There, there's, this, there's this big giant of a man named Shaquille O'Neal. And uh, back, back when I was a, a big fan of, of basketball, he was about 7 foot 2 and about 310 pounds of solid steel. Now he's more pudgy than that. But, but, but he, he's a spokesman for uh, Icy Hot. And they made a commercial several years ago. And, and here's what the commercial said. If I could have it on the wall. Pain wants to stop you, block you, limit you. But pain does not get the final word. You do. And, 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 and if, you, if you just hear that coming from a secular person, a, a company that's just trying to sell you some over-the-counter medication, they're trying to give you insight that pain will limit you. It will hold you down. It will put restrictions around what you are capable of achieving. Pain. Now even the world understands how detrimental pain is 
to you getting free. And if the world can understand that, how much more should children of God understand that not only does pain put a restriction on your bad knees and your sore back, but it puts restrictions on your mind and your heart and your emotions, and it causes you to not reach the potential that God has for you. Could it be that there are people in this room today that God wants to liberate, that He wants to set free? He wants you living at a higher level than you are living. He wants you to smile and not that fake phony baloney one you put on on Sunday morning, but He wants you to have the joy of the Lord in your spirit and that thing illuminate every room you walk into. Could He want to help you overcome your pain? And the Bible says, or, or the commercial goes on to say this. Can you imagine your life without pain? This is a secular company preaching for me. Can you imagine your life without pain? And then he challenged us, rise from pain. Which is where I took my sermon title from. Because Terah did not rise from pain, he died in it. Because Terah was reminded on his way to breakthrough. He was reminded on his way to blessing. He was reminded on his way to what he would, had been praying for. He was reminded of his pain. And he settled there. And he never rose from it. And he died there. And if he can do that, you can do that. Being stuck in pain causes folk to do strange stuff. Because you either get desperate to get out, or you're going to die. I hope this is helping somebody. I hope this is landing the way I want it to, because I know this is intimately personal, but this is just scratching the surface of where we're going to get. I'm going to have a big brain up here in a couple of weeks. I'm going to be... I'm going to be talking about your mindsets and the thoughts that you have. And some of y'all are going to be hitting your husband saying, Did you tell him? <laughs> now we're going to go over into a chapter of the Bible that has bothered me for eight months, nine months. And I touched on it Sunday night for Super Sunday. And it's Mark chapter 9. And it has changed the way I pray. This story that I'm about to read to you has changed what I am passionate about. It has made me cry. It has caused me to evaluate who I am as a man of God and as a Christian. I have kicked this story around. I have talked to theologians. Church of God got some of the greatest theology majors in the world. I have emailed them questions. I have asked them my interpretations. I want their interpretations. I have contacted Greek scholars and asked them about certain words because this thing has gotten so stuck in my spirit, I cannot escape it. Mark chapter 9, verse 17. Before I read it, before I read it, let me set the stage for you. There's a mountain. Jesus and three of his disciples go up on the mountain. Everybody else stays at the bottom. Okay? When Jesus and his three disciples go up on the mountain, your Bible calls it the Mount of Transfiguration. Because it was there that Jesus' clothes began to glow like the noonday sun. His beard and his hair become white and radiant. And he met with two dead guys. 
It's a pretty exciting service. Moses and Elijah show up on the mountain. Peter, James, and John are there. They see the whole thing. They come down off the mountain. When they get to the bottom of the mountain, they find the church arguing over theology. And that's what Jesus walks into in verse 17. In the crowd, one of the crowd, this is the crowd, this is the church, these are the people arguing over theology, answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out. But they could not. This story is told here in Mark. It's also told in Luke chapter 9 and in Matthew 17. And here is another father experiencing pain because of the pain his son is experiencing. Does any of my parents know what I'm talking about? You, you don't just get pain. You, you think you're in trouble when your baby gets a fever and, and, that's, and you suffer for them. That has, uh, you, you haven't even begun to suffer yet. Wait till your children grow up and, and you, you, you start watching them self-destruct. And you watch what they're doing and the choices they're making and you become so enamored in spirit and knit together with them. And you watch how they are napalming their entire life and it hurts you sometimes worse than it hurts them. And so here, here is a father experiencing pain because his son is experiencing pain. And there's a lot of people in this crowd and they're all arguing over religious stuff. And one father in this whole crowd of people brings his son to Jesus. And when you read the beginning of this story, when Jesus is up on the mountain, it, it was up there that they had a glorious experience, right? And then they get down to the bottom of the mountain. And these religious leaders are arguing about religious ideals. We at Promise of Victory have three core beliefs. We are a church where everybody's a somebody. Nobody is perfect and anything's possible. And if anything is possible, what is hindering anything from happening? If anything is possible, and we believe that I can back that up scripturally. If anything is possible, then tell me what is hindering anything from happening. So, so, so if anything is possible, and we believe that, what is the hindrance? God wants us living this year unhindered. So what is the hindrance? Let's, let's dive into this. They are arguing... The religious leaders are arguing about things that Jesus has done. He's raised the dead, and they don't like it. He's cast out devils, and they don't like it. He's healed the sick, and they don't understand it. So they are down there at the bottom of this mountain arguing over the acts that Jesus has performed because they can't wrap their puny little brain around 
who God is and what God is capable of. And what I'm afraid of, church, is that we have relegated what is possible with God to what we can understand. And if we don't understand it, we don't allow it to happen. But if God's not bigger than your brain, if He's not bigger than your understanding, can I go a little bit deeper with this? Because today we got preachers busy trying to give people a gospel that they can understand. So they're preaching about subjects that we understand. They're preaching about how to live a better uh, financial journey and, and how to have better marriages. And all of that is important and it's in the Bible. But can I tell you that I want a gospel that is bigger than my intellect? I want a message that is too big that, for my experience. Can I tell you I want a God-sized gospel? I want a God, because I need some God-sized miracles to happen in my life. I need some stuff hap to happen, and I don't know a way for it to work. If I knew the way, don't you think I'd fix it? I mean, if I could figure all this stuff out, I'd just do it, right? If I knew how to get all the money, I'd just go get it. If I knew how to heal it, I'd just heal it. If I knew what root to eat, I'd go eat the root, make the tea out of the root, drink the root tea, and get healed from it. If I knew how to make my kids mind, I'd just give them a swift kick and make them mind. If I could figure it out, I wouldn't need God. And what I'm afraid of is what we have done what they were doing at the bottom of this mountain. While the glory is happening, while the glory is falling up here, we are down at the bottom trying to figure it all out. And if we can't understand it, we don't get involved in it. <sighs> and meanwhile, the land is full of churches who say they believe in things that they never actually see happen. You'll find churches all over this valley having service right now that say they believe in healing, but they don't ever see it happen. They say they believe in deliverance, but they ain't never seen one. They say they believe in God setting the captive free. But everybody comes in one way and leaves the same way. And we ain't that church. Because if I'm going to do anything, I'm going to challenge you with what this book says. And look what the book says. The father tells Jesus, I brought my son to your disciples. But while everybody was arguing about doctrine and religious standards, they could not deliver him. What I need you to know is how badly these three words has haunted me for months. They could not. And the reason that it has haunted me is because I can't help but wonder how many parents has brought their children to promise of victory through the years and found the anointing of could not. How many people have brought broken marriages? It's about to get quiet. And found the anointing of could not. How many people have brought mental illnesses? How many people have brought panic attacks? Depression? Addictions 
and brought them to the disciples of Jesus Christ who says we believe anything. And all they found was the anointing of could not. And I don't know how that lands with you, but it keeps me awake at night. Mainly because I've read the rest of the book. Look what it says in Luke chapter 9 verse 9. One day Jesus called together his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal my God in heaven. Does that really say all? Cast out all demons and heal all disease. Is that, is that really what say what it says? Then, look, he didn't just give it to them. Verse 2 says, he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and heal the sick. He put something. Did did you see it? Did, 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 Did you see why I'm so upset over could not? Because Jesus put something inside of these disciples that gave them power and authority over sickness. But when this father later Brings his son to these boys. They have the power and authority. But they could not. It's like Jesus wasted it. It's like he put something in them. And it was wasted. Because he went through all the trouble to give them power and authority. But when this dad needed the pain relieved. They could not. And even in the next chapter, Jesus sends out 72 people in pairs. And when they got back, they told Jesus, even the demons respond when we mention your name. And Jesus said, of course they do. What did you think was going to happen? I gave you the power and authority. I I had it, I gave it to you, and sent you out to use it. Did you think I was just wasting my time? It'll be 2,000 years before I put a bunch of preachers in pulpits to waste their time. Every Sunday, preachers get up and waste their time telling folks to go out and do things that we are equipped to do. And we are hindered. Jesus said, what did you think was going to happen? I sent you out with power and authority, and you speak my name, and you think a devil ain't going to pay attention? When you take authority in my name, what did you expect to happen? So why is it that Jesus gave them what they needed, expected them to be able to use it, but when this father needed a touch for his son, the church could not? And this has messed me up. Because one day I'm going to stand in front of Jesus, if I read this Bible correctly, and I'm going to give an account For how I handled his word. Listen to me. The Bible says that when he saved you. He put a deposit of his glory in you. That is him giving you power and authority. To go out and tell people about the kingdom. And you will give an account. For what you did with what he gave you. And God have mercy on us all. If if we have to stand in front of him. And say I wasted what you gave me. And listen, I am too old at this point in my life to stand in front of Jesus and be content with saying, I pastored the church of could not. I'm, I'm over it. I've got, I've got to see more than what we have seen because I believe anything is possible. Do I have a witness in the house? 
I don't want your testimony to be that you settled for could not. That, that's not, I do not want you to stand in front of him one day and settle for that to be your testimony. I just barely made. Listen, we're going to pick back up with this story in Mark 9, in verse 19. Jesus says to them, here he is talking to the disciples. The ones he gave power and authority. He says, you faithless generation. How long must I be with you? How long would I must, must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Did, did you hear that rebuke? Y'all think I'm mean. Y'all think I'm spiteful. Listen to Jesus talking to these guys. All because they could. They weren't using what he gave them. And he says, you faithless people. How long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Do you really want to get to heaven? And instead of hearing, well done, good and faithful servant, do you want him to say, man, how long must I suffer with you? Now for eternity. I don't want that to be my testimony. I don't want to waste what he has deposited in me. Okay? Verse 20 says, so they brought the boy, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, they know Jesus means business. These disciples could not, but the evil spirit saw Jesus and threw the child into a violent convulsion. He fell on the ground writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening, Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy. The spirit often, pay attention to this, throws him into the fire or into the water. Into the what? The fire and into the what? The water, trying to kill him. Throw him into the water and into the fire trying to have mercy on us and help us if you can so Jesus rebukes them because they don't have enough faith but remember these boys had done it before remember they went out and healed the sick and they came back and they said even the demons respond to you respond to us when we use your name sickness responds to us they had done this before but now Jesus said you don't have enough faith so why is it that they could do it in some places for some people and meet some needs, but here they could not? Why is it easier to have faith in one place and other circumstances could not? Could it be that we rely on faith to make the difference, but the truth is faith actually relies on us to release it? I, I want this up here, and I want you to take pictures of it with your phone, and I want you to write it down. I want you to write it in the margin of your Bible because the next several weeks, that right there is going to be the battle cry that I use against your head. Listen, you think you're losing the battle in hell and heaven? You're losing the battle in this six-inch piece of real estate between your ears. You're waiting on faith to show up through my hands or because you sent some prayer cloth to some TV preacher? You're waiting on your prayer team to rally around you and pray you through? But faith actually is relying on you to release it. And the devil is using, among other things, your pain to stop you from exiting. I wish we were as wise as our enemy is. Because he knows, man, I, 
I got about 40 rabbits. I got to figure out which one to chase. The enemy knows he don't, you blame the devil. Every day you get up and say, I'm just fighting the devil. I'm fighting the devil. I'm fighting the devil. You ain't done it. Because the devil knows he don't have to fight you. What the devil has to do is reintroduce today the pain that you left yesterday. And he don't have to stop you. You will stop you. He knows he don't have to rally up a bunch of imps from hell to come and, and fight against you. All he has to do is remind you of the junk, the trash, the things that you thought was behind you. And when he brings it into your present day existence, you will settle there and let the pain cause you to die there. And the devil never lifted his finger. But because you settled there, you don't have the faith Release to escape what you put yourself in. You're building prisons around your own experiences and blaming the devil for holding the keys. What I have experienced in my own life is that when you are crippled by pain, if you have a painful life experience that you won't rise from, Pain will become a source of your could not. So while I get up here and preach about great faith and much faith and mountain moving faith, where is the faith? Does faith even exist in your life if you can't find relief from your pain? So when somebody, when somebody brings their children to you, Maybe they're your own children. Listen, I have beat myself up over this passage. Because according to this scripture, children ought to have some confidence in their parents to get relief from what's troubling them. And if parents can't bring their children to God's people who are throwing themselves into the fire, where can they go? I won't get too deep into this. I told you I got about 40 rabbits to chase. What was the boy throwing himself into because of the devil? Fire and to destroy him, to kill him. Self-destructive habits. This young boy is engaging in self-destructive habits. Throwing himself into the flames, throwing himself into water to kill him. There's a whole generation of children that the enemy is causing them to get involved in self-destructive habits. They have their minds fixed on destruction. There's a suicidal problem in this country. Our children are becoming addicts at a record rate. They are depressed more than any other generation. They are in self-destructive habits. And if they can't find freedom in a house that says anything is possible, what are we even doing here? This is exactly where they should be coming and finding freedom from the habits that is killing them. But the problem is they're meeting people who are supposed to be able to help them who can't even help themselves because we haven't risen from our own pain.
You're waiting on me to preach. I am already there. We are stuck in our own pain. We've never risen from the destruction that we left behind us, even though we say we're free. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. So why are we still trapped in the place of pain? And we've never risen above it. And everything reminds us of a better time and a better place. And we sit and we sulk and we mourn and we cry. When Jesus said the joy of the Lord is your strength, you ought to be strong and fat in the Holy Ghost. If you got what I got, you ought to smile every once in a while. It ought to put a spring in your step. And if it doesn't, I'm not condemning you. we got to expose a wound to heal a wound. And if you realize that you walk around way more depressed than you should, way more sorrowful than you should, this is your day to rise from pain. Because if somebody can't go to the house of God when their children are throwing themselves into the flames, then I'm not sure what we're even doing here. Now, John the Baptist said this in Matthew chapter 3. What was the boy falling into? Fire. John the Baptist says, I indeed baptize you with water to repentance. But he who's coming after me is mightier than I. His sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you in the Holy Ghost and... Uh-huh. Can I, tell you, can I tell you something? And I won't get too deep into it. We have a whole generation that is drowning themselves in inferior fire and inferior water because they've not yet tasted of what John the Baptist said. He said, if you taste and see that the Lord is good, you won't want to taste... <laughs> See, I can't help myself. I can't help myself. This, I, I told you, this thing's been stirring around in me so long. I can, I, man, I could preach four hours on this. Listen, we have gotten to the point where we have settled in our pain. To the point where we say, this is what I deserve. This is what, this is what my life is. And it's not. That devil is a liar. I'm here to tell somebody this morning, depression, yes, I know there's clinical, I'm not talking about clinical problems, I'm talking about people that's got hormonal issues or, or things, I'm, I'm not talking about that, I'm talking about folks that are just living with regret. You're just tormenting yourself with pain over choices you made or choices you didn't make or things that you wish you'd have held together that fell apart or things that you wish you'd have gotten away from that you kept for too long. I'm talking about you folks. The ones, the, the ones that know good and well that the pain that you are living with is self-inflicted. It, it's, not, it's not the work of your enemy. And it ain't even got anything to do with your ex or your mama or that third grade teacher that told you you was useless. It's something you have drugged like a ball and chain through your existence and it's it's always been the bane of your existence. You, you have used it as an excuse to never smile and make everybody around you walk on eggshells because they're always afraid of how you're going to respond to things. I came to tell somebody this morning that God wants you free from all that mess. That the devil doesn't want you to hear this message because he wants you to stay locked up, bound up, tied up, but God is in the liberation business and he's here this morning. And those of you that's been throwing yourself into inferior fire, 
fire and inferior water. I'm telling you, there is a better way. His name is Jesus, and he'll take the shackles off your feet and let you dance. See, some of y'all have been coming to church for so long that you have become numb to finding freedom. You've been saved so long, you feel like salvation is the apex of your Christian experience. He didn't just save you to let you be. Saving you gets you to heaven. He's an ever-present help. In my God. He is an ever. He's not just God on the mountain. And he's not just God when you get to glory. He is a liberator and a freedom fighter for the here and the now. He's got an answer for what you are held back by. He will let you loose and let you dance and let you smile and enjoy your children and enjoy your marriage and enjoy your Christian experience. He wants you to have freedom. He wants you to have a shout. He wants you to run free. Child of God, you hear me today. He don't want you tied up in the pain of where you've been. Loose them and let them go. Some of you have been saved for so long you think this is just what a Christian. No, no. He is an ever-present help. He's here right now. And he sets the captives free. And he brings sight to the blind. You hearing them wails? I told you there's going to be wailing. No national teeth yet. I told you. That's the sound of freedom. That's the sound. Hey. I ain't convinced some of y'all, so let me help you. Mama and daddy, your babies need you free. Your babies need you free. You've got to quit thinking, I've been saved a long time. It don't matter how long you've been saved because that helps you get to heaven. I'm talking about helping you right here on earth in the here and in the now. Your babies need you to be liberated. This generation that's throwing themselves in the fire, throwing themselves in the water, it's inferior. But they got to come to a house where there is freedom and people are loose. We need the real thing. We need the fire of the Holy Ghost. Some of y'all ain't never seen me like this. Shh. 
So he never seen me like this. I didn't know this guy was this crazy. I know. I told you it could be some wailing. That pressure cooker has been boiling. You listen to that devil. That's freedom coming out of God's people. He took the shackles off my feet. Now I can dance. I just got to praise him. Some of y'all need to rise up from your pain. You have settled there long enough. You don't have to die there. Yeah, they left you. It's all right. God's got another plan for you. They abandoned you. They divorced you. It's all right. God's got another thing. He's got something else for you. Some of y'all need to rise up right now. I'm not talking about later in your prayer closet where you can be all quiet and put together. I'm talking about some of y'all need to make a sacrifice right now. You need to rise up right now while this anointing is heavy in this place and say, I'm going to get free before I leave this room today. This is my day of liberation. I'm being set free. Pain has held me long enough. I am rising. I'm going to rise from this pain. My God in heaven. Somebody, somebody in this room, you were hurt. Oh, my God. Don't do this to me, Holy Ghost. Before I get started on this, I did not ask for this. Some of y'all in this room, some of y'all were hurt. Because they, they told you a bunch of promises about forever. They used you. They got what they wanted from you. And then they abandoned you. I want you to rise from pain right now and the Holy Ghost is going to set you free. How do I know it's me? How many bad choices have you made because you've been running from this your whole life? Some of y'all are on y'all's fifth and sixth relationship because you've been rising from you've been rising from pain but you haven't rose in the right way. You've been riding from bedroom to bedroom and from relationship to relationship and you haven't found satisfaction yet because none of that fixes the hole that's in your heart. I want you right now to know the anointing is here to heal. The anointing is here right now. You rise from where you're at. You're going to rise. Symbolically, you are rising from pain. Don't sit there any longer. You stand up. Throw your hands in the air if you're physically able to. I'm not letting this pain torment me any longer. I'm going to start making better choices. I'm going to start becoming a better person. Some of y'all ran to addiction because of this pain. Some of y'all ran and started popping pills and drinking till you were blackout drunk and you just said I'm having a good time. You know good and well it wasn't a good time. Going to jail ain't a good time. Wrecking your car ain't a good time. You're trying to drown out the pain and you're looking for it in the wrong places. Rise from it right now and be liberated and free in the hope Father God, in the name of your son Jesus, every person that's risen this morning, I want you to set them free. I want you to 
caused them to be healed, 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 healed in the name of Jesus. Healed in the name of Jesus. Healed in the name of Jesus. Healed in the Throw up uh, Genesis 6, 14. Shit. I ain't going to go too deep into this, but while you're standing, I just want you to look at this scripture. Make the ark of gopher wood. Make the ark. Pitch it within and pitch it without. Pitch it within, pitch it without. Pitch was a sealer. Kept the water out. Here's what the Holy Ghost told me on the way to church. God don't just want to heal your heart. He wants to seal all the cracked places. He wants you to become pitched from within and pitched from without. Because some of y'all are going to stand up right now and throw your hands up in the air and claim liberation and freedom. But three weeks from now, you're going to run right back to that bed. You're going to run right back to that bottle. You're going to run right back to that needle. And you're going to do it because you got a moment of exuberation, but you did not get free. I want you to seal right now, Holy Ghost. I want you to seal from without and within. Because he don't want to just heal your heart. He wants to seal up all the cracks where the devil keeps getting in. All that junk, all that misery, all that pain, all that suffering, all them tears that you have shed, they have a purpose. But we need to seal the cracks of your heart here and now Holy Ghost do what only you can do every person that's standing in this room is rising from pain I declare and decree over their life that they are rising from the pain it will no longer torment their soul it will no longer cause them to feel less than their parental skills will no longer be questioned they are no longer going to refer to themselves as an addict they're no longer going to speak destruction over their marriage and their relationships. They're going to speak life because they know that they have risen from this pain once and for all. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Some of y'all ain't walking out of here the way you walked in. You're going to be sealed within and without. You might as well send a change of address notification to the devil. You don't live there anymore. All that mess he's used against you all these years, it ain't going to work anymore. This is the last time. Now, if you want help, if you want help, I know most of you are standing, but if you want help, I want you to come down to this altar and I'm going to have a prayer team come and pray over you. If you want help, If you want to say, this is it, I'm done, I'm done. I want to rise from pain once and for all. I want you to come up here and I want the prayer team and the staff and anybody else that's equipped for that, I want you to come and pray over them. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Prayer team, care ministers, staff, if you're up here and you see somebody coming, come come and lay hands on them. My God in heaven, look at all the people coming. They were rising from pain today. Devil, you lost. Devil, you lost. The fact that we got here and got this word in us, you've lost the day, devil.